We're within the Epiphany season this Sunday, traditionally a time of revelation and instruction. The season began with a visit to the newborn Savior by the wise men who represented the world outside Judea. In the past weeks, the readings have all been about episodes of teaching and admonition, not just to the Jews, but to all people. In last week's readings, the prophet Jonah reminded the people of Nineveh what God wanted them to do, and they at once changed their ways from sin to right behavior. And Jesus began calling his first disciples, who came without question to join his ministry. Today, fittingly, the people of God are called together for instruction and bonding. Fitting, because today this parish community will gather for instruction and bonding. Moses told the gathered Hebrews that God would send them a prophet to guide them, who should be followed and trusted unless he offered the people the words and ideas of false gods. Paul writes to the church in Corinth about the duties of their faith and how to deal with the false gods and idols that surround the followers of Christ. In the gospel today, Jesus enters the synagogue to give counsel to the faithful gathered together, and they're amazed at his wisdom and authority. Here is that great teacher promised by Moses in Deuteronomy. All these passages focus on three things. God created us. Second, God continues to guide and love us. And three, requires that we put God and the community ahead of all other claims for our time, effort, and desire. So what are we here in 2012 to learn? We're not the people of the original covenant. We're not the sinning citizens of Nineveh who had failed their promise to obey Yahweh. We are not the Jews in the synagogue at Capernaum who hear in amazement the power and authority of Jesus' teaching, nor do we exhibit the signs of madness evidenced in the spirit who cries out, nor are we the Gnostics of Corinth allied with the original dysfunctional church, as Father David likes to call it. Yet, like those, we do need to be reminded of why we are gathered here, why we have heard the promises of God, and what we need to do to remain faithful. Those who heard Moses' teaching were promised a prophet who would teach them, and they were to reject the words of those who spoke of other gods. Jesus rebuked the false spirit who tortured the man in the synagogue, and Paul reminded the Christians of Corinth that there is only one God and that sacrifices made to idols, were ridiculous since no other gods really existed. All of these passages show with what powerful insistence God teaches us that we have been created, sustained, and loved by the one God. We may feel quite disassociated from these passages. It's easy to dismiss them as episodes of a long-ago culture and time when there were worries about other gods and idols. We know that the ancient Greeks and Romans had a crowd of gods. We had to learn their names and powers in our Western Civ classes. But nobody takes that seriously now in a religious context. The same is true for the gods of Valhalla, even though the names of the days of our week are taken from them. Other gods of other religions, those beyond the Abrahamic three, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, seem even further away from our daily life and thoughts. So what is the relevance for us in these readings? We may think we no longer live in a culture where sacrifices are made to other gods, and yet we do idolize things and make sacrifices to obtain them. 
Idol worship in our culture is widespread and seductive. Our culture seems to worship gadgets and toys, from USB drives to Ferrari drives. And when they replace the things of holy value, their acquisition could lead us away from God to worshiping the material world. Yet in parallel to Paul's advice to Corinth, if we know that an iPhone is not the most important part of our lives, and free Wi-Fi is not the only reason to visit a place, using these or not using these is irrelevant. Paul's message tells us we won't injure our own holy selves by admiring or wanting objects that entertain or assist us. If we know that instant messaging is not the bond that validates our relationships, we are not spiritually injured. However, it is not the toys and material acquisitions that are the false gods of our world, but the more subtle deities of greed, injustice, self-righteousness, selfishness, and indifference. These keep us from knowing and emulating the teachings of Jesus. When others see us behaving in ways that indicate our nature is not loving, we send a message that is not the one we've learned from Jesus. Paul says it is better not to eat the food sacrificed to idols than to give the wrong impression to weaker souls. We need to reflect on what message our own comments and actions send. Would anyone who knows that Jesus told his followers to love God and their neighbors realize that we are Christian by observing and listening to us? I almost said there, would they mistake us for Christians? Episcopalians don't like to make a habit of evangelism. We don't often voice our faith, but we can be clear about our own worship, clear about why we are gathered here this morning, conscious of knowing exactly what God we are worshiping and why. And we need to examine our own opinions and values to reflect on what sort of inner person each of us presents to the world. Each of today's readings tells the story of how God uses his messengers to teach the people and how very slowly the process of reuniting the world with our Creator seems to move through history. We need to remember that we are examples and teachers, from Moses and Jonah to Paul to you. The instruction and practice proceed. We live in a world that, for the most part, does not know God. Our culture is not only postmodern but post-Christian except for a brand of Christianity that most Episcopalians would barely recognize as our own faith. For most people in this postmodern and post-faith culture, the narrow, literal, frightening preaching of some evangelicals is what they reject. We must strive to speak and behave in ways that reflect our faith, and it is not easy. We are a minority in this world. God made us and loves us, Jesus gave his life to teach us these lessons. And we are to love our Creator and Redeemer and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We gather together in community regularly for renewal, to share the holy meal, and to instill in each other the strength and power to love the world. These are the basics. These are the lessons we are to learn in this season of teaching and learning. This is the revelation of the Epiphany season. Our parish gathers today to establish our continuity as a worshiping community 
And even though our time together is more secular than religious, I hope we can consecrate that time to a renewed determination to exhibit our faith in the world. We are all disciples. Amen. Now, before I leave the pulpit, I wanted to share something with you. It's from yesterday's San Francisco Chronicle sports section. And it's about a child who is a 49er fan and whose father is a 49er fan. And on Sunday night, after the 49ers narrowly narrowly lost that playoff game to the New York Giants, Owen Shore, seven years old, who lives in Los Angeles, was very upset. He was crying. And his father said, after the boy said, I'm so upset, I'm so sad, I'm so, it's so awful. And his dad said to him, how do you think Kyle Williams feels? Because Kyle Williams was the man who made two errors in the game that led to the New York uh, winning points. How do you think he feels? And so Owen said, well, maybe, maybe we should write to him. And so he got a piece of paper and a pencil. That's a nice three-hole punch lined piece of paper. And he wrote this letter to Kyle Williams the uh, kick return man for the 49ers. Dear Mr. Williams, we just watched the playoff game. I feel really bad for you, but I, I wanted to tell you that you had a great season. You should be very proud. So I wanted to say thank you. I am your number one fan, Owen Sure. There's a lesson in this story, my friends. Don't forget it.